You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, queens. Hey. So as you know, we are on our summer vacation. So we are rerunning some episodes from the Patreon vault. So this episode came at a time right after America's very first female vice president was elected. So we were on a bit of a political kick. Um, I hope y'all enjoy this because she's a fascinating fucking lady. Oh, don't let me fucking forget. If you're new here, we curse a lot. So if that's not your thing, keep it moving. All right, cheers, bitches. Do 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 do. Investigator Conrad. Do 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 do. Nathan. Haiti. We back. We. If you caught our last All Levels Patreon episode, we talked about Ann Richards. We are just, you know, we've had a big election. That resulted in the first female vice president. And as, so, as well as the most females voted into Republican Congress ever. So, yes. Great. So, it, yes. So, Nathan and I both researched female politicians from history that, you know, were like first. I'm going to talk about Shirley Chisholm, who was the first black woman elected to Congress, and then the first Black woman to seek a major party's nomination for the presidency. (laughs) So, yeah, let's talk about her. Her life motto, like her her, uh, slogans, anytime she ran for political office, the title of her book is Unbought and Unbossed. That is so Daenerys Targaryen of her. It is. (laughs) Unbought and unbossed. Yes. Fire. Yes. Shirley was born November 30th, 1924, making her a Sagittarius. She is incredibly straightforward. She's very determined. So this tracks with that sign. Her name at birth was Shirley Anita St. Hill, and she was born into Brooklyn. She was born in Brooklyn. Both of her parents are immigrants. Her dad is from Guyana, and her mom is from Barbados. Okay. While she was coming up, like, while she was growing up, both of her parents worked. They had to, to fucking put food on the table. And Shirley's mom was like, I don't think my kids are getting enough attention from me. They aren't getting the kind of upbringing I want them to have at this point in our lives. So she sent Shirley and Shirley's three younger sisters to Barbados to be raised by their maternal grandmother for a few years. Yeah. So Shirley started attending school in Christchurch, Barbados. From what I can gather, it was like a very rural upbringing. Mm -hmm. It was like farming land. And it was pretty much, you know, like Little House on the Prairie when they're in school. It's just one big room. For all That's what I was about to say. It probably yeah. reminds me of that where it's just one room and it has the bell above it and they ring the bell every morning. Yes, exactly. You're okay. picturing it exactly correct. Yes. I, I watched a video of her talking about her education in Barbados. And she's like, I can't say for sure if it's my schooling in Barbados that made this happen. But of the four daughters, three of us got scholarships to college. Oh, wow. Yeah. 
she thinks very, very highly of the education system in Barbados, or at least the one she got. She credits her grandmother with a lot of that. Her grandmother is really strict, really Christian and really education based. But also her grandmother was like, don't ever let anybody tell you you were lesser than. Your mm-hmm. opinion is just as important as anybody else's. It doesn't matter that you're a woman. It doesn't matter that you're a minority. You are somebody and don't you ever fucking forget it. And she if never gra- did. If granny had a t-shirt, it would say, don't start no shit. There won't be no shit. Don't take Grandma. no shit. <laughs> she, granny. yes. So Shirley was in Barbados from ages three to nine. So that's like, that's your formative years, you know? Oh yeah, for sure. That's like, you know, before you go to school up until like what, fourth grade? That's a, that's a really important time for you. Yeah, that's a big part in developing your personality. It was just such a good role model for her to have. And mm-hmm. that's such an important time to be telling children that don't, don't you don't have to take shit, you know? And I think this did a huge, spoiler alert, you know, she goes on to be a, a hard-headed bitch and it's a good thing. And she can accredit it to her time in Barbados. She spoke with uh, an accent, like a little bit of an accent for the rest of her life. that's cool. Yeah. So they head back to New York in 1934. And for the rest of her life, she considers herself um, a Barbadian American. I'm not sure. Barbados. Barbadian American? Barbadian. She considers herself multicultural. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So she's back in America where she lived for the rest of her life. And she attends this high school called girls high school which is very (laughs) self-explanatory but it was so like it was a public school but you had to like get accepted into it okay so it's like a uh like almost like a charter school but like a gifted and talented kind of yeah it's like a gifted and talented school that was still like funded with public money but you had to get accepted into it what's interesting 1930 1930s 1940s in america there was this big deal about segregation in the schools Mm -hmm. this was a desegregated school Oh, wow. In the 40s? In Brooklyn, which was a mainly minority area, but the school was the majority of the students were white girls. Well, I mean, to be, I mean, I hate to say it, but usually wealthy families. Well, but that's the thing. This wasn't not necessarily a wealthy family school. It wasn't a private school. It was a public school. It was just such a good school. It was in a minority area, but it was such a good school that white people were still sending, hoping to get their kids into it. I just Hmm. Just I was just like in such like so many people having such a horrible time with integration and everything. How lucky that she lived in Brooklyn and her parents valued education. In the 40s. In the the 40s. 40s. Yeah. Yeah. That blew my mind. The school is still there. It's now they've built on another part of it. So it's integrate like boys and girls. Um, And it's but it's still a very famous historical school. One for being so uh, progressive. And secondly, because something about the architecture is a big deal. I don't fucking know. (laughs) Anyway, so she graduates in 1942 and is offered a full scholarship to Brooklyn College, which is like a local university. While in school, she helps to found that school's chapter of the Harriet Tubman Society. What, What? Yep. Which it's a student, it's a student body group that works towards getting more African-American studies into schools and getting more women in the student body. Worth that diversity, bitch. Right? Uh, both seem like the norm now, but in the 40s, yeah. that was a bit that's, like, Whoa. That's crazy back in the 40s. Exactly. 
She was on the debate team. Just like Anne with a just, plan. Just like <laughs> Anne with a plan. She was a mouthy bitch who didn't back down from an argument, which we love here. <clears throat> nerd. <laughs> yeah, she was a nerd. She was an epic nerd. She, you know, she just had that in, ingrained in her, like, DNA from her Barbados grandma that, like, you need to have your voice heard. You need to get an education. You you are important. Don't let anybody tell you that your opinion doesn't matter. Wow. Could you imagine what that would have done for so many women that we've talked about in history that if yeah. they had a grandma that said that to them? Just telling them your voice is important. People need to hear what you have to say. So she graduates with a um, honors and she gets a BA, just like with Ann Richards. I don't know what she got her bachelor's in. <laughs> they just Very, they were like, hey, you read some books and you're a woman. Very Yay. frustrating. But so she uh. got her bachelor's and she had some professors telling her she should consider a political career. Wow. And she goes, one, I'm a, I'm a woman. Two, I'm black. And she literally said, don't you know that's a double handicap? And so she just kind of like threw it out of her mind. She's like, I'm not trying to like fight for a seat at the table my whole life. I'm going to go just make my own life about it. So she decides to start a career in childhood development and education, (laughs) which for the late 40s, early 50s was one of the only um, programs that were acceptable for women. There was like that and like maybe being like nursing Stuff like that, mm-hmm. that it just wasn't, you You're know. You're a teacher w- or you were a nurse. No, that's very 50s. I mean, Anne did the same thing. She was she was going to be a teacher. Yeah, exactly. So, but I really do think that Shirley has a deep, deep passion for education. Um, sure. Because of how, I mean, it's gotten her so far, you know. Yeah, it, it basically, she would she would not be where she is right now or where she was right then if she did not have that education. Exactly. There weren't, it's not like she came from a rich family or had connections or anything. Mm-hmm. She had to pull herself up. So um, I also don't want to dismiss it like she was leaning into a traditional role. Cause like I said, it was her passion. I do mm-hmm. believe. So now she's done with school and she's like, I guess I should consider dating. She's like never been on a date. She's oh, like wow. graduated college. It's just never been a focus of her. Um, I guess we should mention she never has kids because it doesn't really come up again. So I guess since she wasn't like hell bent on like being a mother, wasn't something that was like a priority to her. Mm. She just never thought of dating mm. until 1947 or 1948. She meets this guy named Conrad Chisholm and he is a Jamaican immigrant and he had just come to America about 1946 and he was a private investigator. Do 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 investigator Conrad. Do do yes, do do exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so she and investigator Conrad get married in 1949. There's not a whole lot to know about Conrad, like which is almost kind of cool because it's all like when you read a lot of women in histories, like wikipedia page for example it's like so much of their lives is often tied to that of their husbands and like what their husband did and how it affected their life so i've kind of loved that her husband like was only mentioned like twice on her wikipedia yeah page. that's exactly how it was with my research was it was like there was nothing on her husband i was like you know what she didn't need it yeah she didn't <laughs> need it he seemed to be really really supportive and it kind of reminded me because like right now we're also talking about victoria woodhull a lot it kind of reminded Mm -hmm. me of colonel blood how he just sort of sat back and let her do her thing 
It's very refreshing to see a man that supports a woman that has ambition. Yeah, he's like, I'm going to let you shine bright like a diamond. You do you, honey. (laughs) So, yeah, very refreshing. So, Shirley is rocking it. She is running two pre-K facilities. Um, It seems that, like, early childhood development is, like, her real, real jam. Mm -hmm. And she decides that she wants to go on and get a higher education herself. So she gets accepted into Columbia University, um, and she gets her master's in education in 1952. Cool. So I went down a little bit of a rabbit hole like about this because I was like, I can't believe Columbia was co-ed in the 50s because it wasn't. They mm-hmm. they only accepted women into very few schools, and mm-hmm. teaching school was one of them. So her master's, while it's from Columbia University, like. She's not invited to all of the alumni parties. You know what I mean? Mm. It's just it's just the one this one school within Columbia University. Sometimes uh, education can be a bag of dicks too. <laughs> I wanted to know when Columbia went co-ed and I was like fully co-ed. I was shocked by the answer. 1983. Holy shit. That 1983. We might we probably have listeners to this show when they were born yeah they still 1983 that was bananas i went down like a little bit of a rabbit hole about this like i said and there's like when they like in 1981 is when they like let the student body vote on if the school should become completely co-ed and they voted yes and like one student goes life is co-ed so college should be co-ed and it's like yeah no (laughs) duh every like most other ivy league schools Went or co-ed. in the seventies, like yeah, that's Columbia that's, University. That's shocking to me. I had no idea. I I was shocked too. I was expecting like seventy one or something mm-hmm. like that. So anyway, hey y'all, spooky season is here, and if you're looking for a show to whet your appetite for a little haunted history, then I'd like to invite you to check out Southern Gothic a chart-topping history podcast that explores some of the most infamous legends, folklore, ghost stories, and hauntings of the American South. We've covered all sorts of stuff from the Bell Witch of Tennessee to the disappearance of the Confederate submarine, the H.L. Hunley, not to mention our deep dives into the local lore of some of America's oldest and most haunted cities like New Orleans, Charleston, and St. Augustine. So, if you're ready for a little good old-fashioned Halloween storytelling with a commitment to quality historical research, then be sure to check out Southern Gothic today. It's available now on all your favorite podcast apps. Hello, everyone. It's Takuyi here. And I'm Gabby. And we are the hosts of History of Everything, a podcast which you can probably guess by the name is, well, I mean, it's about everything. Do you want to know why people thought potatoes were evil and would give you syphilis? Are you curious about all the stories of the terrible and stupid ways that people have kicked the bucket over the years? Do you want to hear tales about all of the different badasses of history and the lives that they had brought to life? Well, if so, then look no further. History of Everything is just the right podcast for you. It's available on Spotify, Pandora, and anywhere else that you get your podcast from. Join us for some fun and just see how weird and wacky history can be. But since education is an acceptable career path for women, she was accepted. 
And after she graduates, you know, graduating from an Ivy League college, yeah, it gave her a big boost in her career. And she becomes a consultant for the city of New York daycare development programs. So, cool. Um, I feel like she's one of those people that just really aren't into downtime uh, mm. because she then joined a number of local political groups. So she's a, she's like a, I wouldn't say she's restless because that puts a negative connotation yeah, to her. But she's, she's very much like, she's like, I'm not doing something. I need to do something now. I, I'm kind of like that, which mm-hmm. I mean, I, I, I work a full-time job and do this podcast and exercise every day. It, like I, if I have too much downtime, I get depressed. So mm-hmm. maybe she was like me and just being like, if I'm not using my brain, <laughs> I get the sands. So, um, <laughs> but we kind of, we didn't mention it earlier. Her dad was really, she grew up kind of knowing about politics because her dad was in the labor union and he was a big supporter of like, he would go and like, canvas and go to like rallies and stuff like that for people that supported labors labor unions so it's not like she just kind of got into politics out of nowhere her dad was pretty involved and so she joins these leagues the first political league she got involved in was the first to promote the election of the first black judge in new york she left this political program because they didn't want her pushing women's issues oh and she was like now fuck that yeah she was (laughs) She's like the fucking double handicap again, but Mm -hmm. we'll see this a lot. We'll see this when we talk about Victoria Woodhull too. And we'll see this in other times in her life. These minority groups in history just feel like we can only focus on one issue at a time. And right now we're focusing on getting black people elected. So we can't focus on your women's stuff right now. I mean, it's so true. I mean, it's still like just until now we focused on black women. (laughs) I mean, it's just, it's, we see that you see this so much in the women's suffragette movement when we, that we're going to talk about in the next Victoria Woodhull episode. And yeah. So anyway, it's problematic. It's problematic with that progressives feel like we can only progress one thing at a time, basically. Mm. Yeah. So she leaves that group. She does join local chapters of NAACP, League of Women Voters. She joins her local chapter of the Democratic Club. The NAACP was the only group that she was in that wasn't almost completely white people. <laughs> um, well, it shouldn't be because... <laughs> I mean, yeah, but it's just sort of like, kind of like whenever we talked about Victoria Woodhull, how like she didn't want to be seen as just a progressive for women's issues. She wanted to like get integrated with, you know, you got to make allies or whatever. And so that's kind of what Shirley was doing. Huh, it makes me, it makes me kind of wonder, like, did she, cause I remember whenever, whenever we covered Daisy Bates, Daisy Bates was in the NAACP around this same time. So I wonder if she maybe have heard of her. Maybe. Know? Was Daisy Bates in New York though? Uh, no, but she was like uh, the head of one of the chapters of the NAACP. Yeah. So I mean, she would have been a big person. Yeah. They probably may have, Cross paths, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so fast forward a little bit to 1964. Um, New York was redistricted, and Shirley's living in Brooklyn in this like highly democratic area, and it's redistricted. And now they don't really have anybody representing them, mm-hmm. and now it's like almost a completely ba- black district. And mm. as we've mentioned, she's involved in so many of these organizations locally and she's running the daycares. Like everybody knows her in her yeah. district now. And she decides, you know what? Maybe I do need to get into politics. Maybe it's now that people know me here, 
that me being a black woman isn't going to be a handicap because they already know what I can do and they see how passionate I am. Mm-hmm. So um, the she runs for her district's New York State Assembly um, because the redistricting now it's just why her position is wide open. So she's like, let's do this. Side note, because I wasn't sure what state assembly meant. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, New York state legislator has two houses. The higher house is like the state Senate and the lower house okay. is the assembly. So <clears throat> okay. Makes sense. Lower state, state um, Senator. So she wasn't like a high power you know, no. person at that point, but no, but you know, the people working at the lower level are the people that get shit done that are like out there talking to the people. So Yep. And you got to start somewhere. Local government matters. Mm-hmm. Yeah. She got pushback from the Democratic Party because vagina. Oh, um, boobs. Vagina. Boobs. Ah. Yes. Uh, chromosomes. Not good. And <laughs> they didn't respect her. And they said that she wasn't electable, which is something we're going to hear, which we still hear about women. Oh, yeah. Not electable. So Shirley was like, okay, whatever. I am running with or without the party support. Fuck you guys. And so she appealed to the women of her district hard. And she Mm. won so much. Like she won, like there was two, three people running all together and she like tripled the other people's votes combined. Yes, bitch. One, one, one. I love it. Yes. So she served on the New York General Assembly from 64 to 68. And during that tenure, she proposed a bill to provide state aid to daycare centers and, and voted to voted to increase funding for schools on like a pure per pupil basis, which was like, people were like, no, if this school has more students, more money. And everyone was like, yeah. no, who would have thought <laughs> <laughs> that it costs more money for more kids. And she also like went into the schools and the local businesses and talked to like black people being like, you can get involved. You can, anybody can run. Look, I did it. I'm a poor girl from Brooklyn. You can do it. Like, and she really, a woman of immigrants too. Right. right? She's like, you can do it. And this is another reason that she just gives me so many Kamala vibes, you know? Yeah, that's true. Yeah. She was really popular in her district, as you can probably imagine. Mm -hmm. And in 1968, there was an election and she ran for House of Representatives for the New York's 12th Congressional District. And this is the first time she used the slogan, unbought and unbossed. Boss ass bitch. Unbought because she she was just some chick from Brooklyn. Like she didn't have a big political backing. She didn't have like a whole lot of political sponsors. She was a grassroots movement. Like mm-hmm. she didn't have big oil money. That or anything is like that. so amazing. Back in the sixties too. Yeah. Holy and shit. Unbossed because no one was going to tell her what to fucking do. Gotta love a woman like that. Yes. <laughs> so like I said, this will go on to be her slogan for the rest of her life. And it's a good slogan. <laughs> no, I'm not. I'm okay. So, oh. <laughs> She wasn't uncontested. There were a couple of other men that wanted to run for the Democratic option, but TLDR, she got the nomination. But then her real, her real like opponent there was this guy that was running for the Liberal Party. There, it was like a third party. I guess okay. there wasn't really anybody running in the Republican Party. But this guy's name was James Farmer. And it was real competition for her. So let's talk about James Farmer's background. Okay. Um, he's also African-American. 
Okay. He uh, marched with Martin Luther King. That's cool. Civil rights protest. He was, you know, when you're running for a black district and you're like, yeah, I'm okay. My buddy, I'm okay over here. That That helps out a lot. (laughs) Yeah. He was a really cool guy and he did a lot of really great things, but he completely dismissed Shirley. Like, don't ever underestimate a strong, powerful woman. And yeah, Shirley took offense because he was just sort of like, are you going to vote for this teacher or are you going to vote for me? I know MLK, you know? Um, And so Shirley was like, he doesn't even go here because he didn't live in Brooklyn. <laughs> it remind, again, it reminds me of Mean Girls. Whatever well, that's like. exactly what I took it from. Yeah, so it should. <laughs> she doesn't even go here. Well, he does. He he lived in Manhattan. Oh, that's bullshit. Yeah. Like maybe he had like a P.O. box in Brooklyn or something. <laughs> she, but she's like, he doesn't even go here. He doesn't know what you guys need. And so she starts this like hardcore grassroots campaign. She hits the streets. She's talking to the people. We find out from her time in public education, she has learned to be fluent in Spanish. Yes, bitch. So she's going into the Spanish schools and the Spanish speaking, the Latino businesses and stuff. And she's speaking to them without a translator. She's, you know. This that, is- that means a lot, like, especially to someone that English is not their person English is not an easy language to learn and And so for someone to walk in and start talking to you in your native language that makes you feel like they care about you well from her time teaching at these schools where there were a lot of people with like immigrants bringing their children in she realized oh a lot of my students um are English as second language so she learned Spanish yes learning Spanish learning any different language as an adult is hard (laughs) Mm-hmm. And that meant a lot to the people in her district. She won. Yes. It was a huge upset that no one, you know, no political, sh- like nobody on CNN or Fox News or anything would have been thinking she was going to win. But she. <laughs> well, I mean, won. she's 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 black. She's a woman, and like she said earlier, that's a double handicap, especially yeah. in the sixties. But she. I honestly, like when I was reading about her campaign, like it just, I was exhausted reading about how active she was, how much she was out there talking to the people, how she busted her ass. She didn't have any fucking money, but she was out there speaking Spanish, kissing babies, being unbought and unbossed and it paid off. So however, I didn't get like any fucking media coverage, which really bummed her out because she's the first woman being elected to Congress or the yeah, first black a, woman. I'm sorry. The first black that's, woman. That's a big deal. The fact that they didn't cover it. They're just like, eh, whatever. yeah. Um, Nixon that year, Nixon won the U S presidency and that's all people could talk about. And so when I was thinking about it, I was like, okay, well, I mean, I don't know who was elected the 12th district of New York into the house of representatives. So like, that I could kind of see why it, it's a local, so it's not a big a deal. And they didn't have like the news like we do now. And I, mm. I feel like if that would have been in a time of social media, it would have gotten a lot of coverage. But she was super bummed that she didn't get more coverage. But whatever. She's like, that's fine. I'm going to go and rock it. Don't feel bad for Farmer. He was actually appointed by Nixon to um, the secretary. He was the assistant secretary of education. So he was doing just fine, though. (laughs) 
he didn't like the way Nixon was doing shit. So he dropped out before Nixon's uh, scandal. So in the grand scheme of things, dropping out of the Nixon administration because you didn't like how things were run is a good idea. Good idea. Thumbs up. Thumbs up to that guy. Anyway, back to Shirley. So if you think getting elected to Congress was the battle, no, no, no. It was just the beginning. Like later in 2003 in an interview that we can link to in the show notes, I, she talked about the struggles and they weren't from being black. There were a lot of starting to be a lot of black representatives. She says, I met far more discrimination being a woman than being black when I moved into the political arena. Wow. That's, that's a big statement. Yeah. So like I said, I watched this video where she talks about like her first few months were just fucking miserable. Oh, I bet so. It was probably like me in that leadership conference with all the fucking bros. And it's just like, hey, bro. Hey, bro. And you're like, shut up. Yeah. She literally talks about a story in this video of a can't sit here, seats taken. Like she couldn't find anywhere to sit at lunch. Oh, my God. How fucking petty. Because she was a woman. Uh, So then she goes on to tell this one story of this congressman who was like a real dick to her. And she didn't name the congressman. And I couldn't. I didn't have enough energy. I bet if I did some internet sleuthing, I could figure it out. So internet sleuths, let us know if you know who it is. But she never says who this guy was because she's a class act. But so this guy, this one congressman, every time she would enter the con- the floor of the Senate, the way that she would come in from her office, she had to like completely walk across the stage. And he would like cough like not just like clear in his throat like <clears throat> like cough every time she would enter the room until she sat down oh, and so like what the fuck is okay wait what that that's not like not that's not even a joke yeah yeah that's I, not I funny i don't <laughs> let me get let let <laughs> so one day she says she like turned to this dude that i guess was chill with her named brock adams and was like does this guy have TB? Like what should he be coming to work if he's that sick? And he's like, no, you haven't noticed. Like he coughs and coughs and coughs. And as soon as you sit down, he takes out his handkerchief and spits in it. So it's like his way of like showing everybody that he's spitting in your face. Oh, what a prick. So she goes to, I don't know, JC Penney or some shit and <laughs> buys a man's handkerchief. And so the next day she's like entering the Senate floor. And of course he starts coughing and coughing and coughing. And so she starts like power walking up to him. And then when he goes to take out his handkerchief, she like takes hers out and puts it in his face and goes, beat you to it today. Ooh, I love her sassafras. Mm. Everybody, like the whole floor starts dying laughing and his face just turns like beet red. He's just like, good misogyny burn in hell yeah so he never did that again and i i just loved that story of again it shows she's not some people would have been like i am a junior senator i can't i need to make friends with these people i need to pretend like i don't notice it they go low i go high she was like she's unbossed bitch she Mm -hmm. is unbossed unbossed so the frustrations didn't start there she felt like nobody was taking her seriously and the first committee that she was put on was the agricultural committee. Um, and she was like, I live in Brooklyn. We don't have <laughs> There's farms. no agriculture. Yeah. <laughs> and she goes, maybe they read the book, A Tree Grows in Brooklyn. <laughs> <laughs> and they're like, well, there's a bunch of stuff. There's a bunch of trees. And she was like, no, no. <laughs> there's absolutely nothing. And she complained. And they were basically like, you shouldn't even be here. So how about you just do your work and not complain? And she was like, okay. So 
she's like, agriculture, what can I do there that's going to work for my district? Okay, agriculture is food. There are a lot of poor single mothers in my district that can't buy food. So she reaches across the aisle and works with a Republican named Bob Dole. And they start working together and they develop this program that we now know as WIC, which is uh, Women, Infant, and Children. It's like a part of the food stamps Yeah, like whenever you go into a grocery store, certain Mm -hmm. items are labeled WIC items Mm -hmm. and those items are free to women who have children. That's so cool. I didn't know she started that. I mean, she wasn't like the founding member, but she was one of the like five. Her and Bob Dole are like the big ones. And so, yeah. So she took a crappy assignment and made something good out of it. But she was still like, hello, I have a master's in education. Why am I not on one of these educational committees? Like, yeah. And they were like, um, because we do real work with that. Sit back down, lady. And she was just like. God, I could not. I would not be able to stomach all that I know. misogyny. Oh I know. God. It was just like they put her. They kept putting her in these committees that they felt like she wasn't going to be able to do anything in so that she would prove herself to be ineffectual. Do you know what uh, I mean? To make her look bad for her district because all these items that she's assigned to have nothing to do with her district. Right? But she she made it work for her. It's awesome. So during her tenure, she got labeled Fighting Shirley. Yes, I love it. I'm just imagining her like Muhammad Ali, you know, like <laughs> look like a butterfly, sing like a bee. I'm Shirley. I'm here. I'm hearing the Rocky theme song. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> But she got a lot of shit done in her time and the House of Representatives. On top of the food stamps program, she also championed equal rights, equal pay for women, child care programs. She voted on measures to end the Vietnam War. She did wow. eventually end up on the Educational Committee. So That should have been from the beginning? From honestly? the beginning. Yeah. As a master's, but okay. In 1971, she was the founding member of two committees, the Black Caucus Committee. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. That's huge. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. And the National Women's Political Committee. Another huge one. Yeah. Yeah. So you wow. can thank Shirley for that. So she was in the House of Representatives from 1968 to 1983. Listing all of her accomplishments, it would just be, we'd be here forever. So let's fast forward to 1972. Nixon is running for re-election. And in early 1972, Shirley decides... They need someone who's not afraid to shake things up to beat this guy. I'm going to throw my hat in for the nomination for the Democratic Party. And she announces her candidacy as the first woman and the first black person to run for president of the Democratic Party. Wow. There had been, it makes her the first black person to run for a major party, but not the first woman. In 1964, a woman had run on the Republican ticket. Okay. Yeah. For the, she didn't get the candidacy either, but yeah. So Shirley, like she made her announcement at a black Baptist church. So that it got a huge reaction. And she says, I'm not the candidate of black America, though I'm black and proud. I'm not the candidate of the women's movement of this country, although I am a woman and equally proud of that. I am the candidate of the people and my presence before you symbolizes a new era. I love that. Oh my gosh. That's so cool. Like she literally trailblazer. I know. Sadly, her campaign wasn't taken very seriously, which Mm -hmm. if you've heard, if you've been paying attention to any of the story, it probably shouldn't be surprising. Yeah. But she did get a lot of media attention. So, and she did have a lot of people that were like, 
fiercely into her. Like it kind of makes me think of like his was taken a little bit more seriously, but how many people were really into Bernie. Yeah. Then you had diehard supporters. Right. She did have some diehard supporters. So at least she's getting media coverage this time. There was this one. Well, she got lots of death death threats, which really don't surprise me. I like that's one thing I just never will understand. Like you can you can disagree with somebody and not Why wish them dead. Them? Yeah. Um, because some people are mentally unstable, I guess. Yeah. I don't Truth. know. Everybody, shush! William Shatner has something to say. Cat and Jethro, box of oddities. What do you do when the woman you love dies? Well, of course, you dig her up and you live with her. Aww. The show examines weird things. There are plenty of old photographs from this time period of children out in the streets playing in and among the dead horse carcasses. Oh, I miss those days. Things used to be so much simpler. Cat and Jethro. Then there's the urine wheel, which sounds like a really bad game show. They've done weird things. Cat and Jethro, box of oddities. That is really mysterious. Join Cat and Jethro Gilligan-Toth for the strange, the bizarre, the unexpected as they lift the lid and cautiously peer inside the box of oddities. The Webby Award-winning Box of Oddities podcast from Airwave Media. I'm Helena Bonham Carter, and for BBC Radio 4, this is History's Secret Heroes a new series of rarely heard tales from World War II. They had no idea that she was Britain's top female codebreaker. We'll hear of daring risk-takers. What she was offering to do was to ski in over the high Carpathian mountains. Of course it was dangerous, but uh, danger was his friend. Subscribe to History's Secret Heroes wherever you get your podcasts. Um, her husband got assigned to like the head of her security entail, so they got to spend more time together. <laughs> <laughs> That's one way to do it. <laughs> she made big waves, and I don't understand why this was a story, but it was a big fucking story, so I included it. This guy named George Wallace, who was mm. also running for the Democrat Democrat nomination, got shot by some political nut. He was in the hospital. Back in the day, George Wallace had been super against integration like he really liked segregation i don't i didn't get a chance to go down the george wallace rabbit hole i don't think i'm probably the best that you didn't (laughs) yeah but he had said some really shitty shit about shirley but then when he got shot shirley came and visited him in the hospital the moment he could have visitors everybody was like why are you here seeing your rival that said shit about you and she was like you guys aren't listening i'm not here just to be president for people that like me i am here to be president for everybody so of course i I want him to get better soon i want him to know i'm thinking about him and it's called humility it's called being a human being it's called being friendly right (laughs) integrity so ultimately she didn't get the nomination but it was just it 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 (laughs) set a precedent it gave black girls girls black people like oh look someone else has tried I can try. You know what I mean? Um, and that's a huge deal. I mean, just deal. just seeing representation. The like we go it's on. It's so yeah. important. Have you seen the TV show Mrs. America? I have not. I think I've told you about it before. Mm-hmm. I, I think when I was watching it one night, I had too many glasses of wine and I called you and I was like, Nathan, Mrs. America. <laughs> the main characters in it are Phyllis Schlafly, who was that lady who was against the Equal Rights Amendment that got hit in the face with a pie. 
and Gloria Steinem. So those are the two main characters of the show. What's her name? Kate Blanchett plays Phyllis Schlafly. Um, <laughs> I just like seeing the pie get shut. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it is such a well-done show. It's a miniseries. I think there's only uh-huh. like 10 episodes. Also, um, what's her name? Paulson? Is it Sarah Paulson? Sarah Paulson. She's in it her. too. Um, there's a lot of great people in it, so you should definitely watch it. Shirley is not one of the main characters. She's one of the... She's in almost every episode, but she's, you know, not the, one of the main characters. Mm-hmm. Played by Uzo Abuda. Aduba. Uh, yeah, yeah, she plays... My dyslexia doesn't like when there are lowercase d's and b's in the same name. Yeah, uh, Uzo Aduba, something okay. like that. She played Crazy Eyes. Okay, well, I didn't watch Orange is the New Black, so I wasn't familiar with her, but I can say that she was a very compelling character in this show. Oh, she's a great actress. I think the show takes some liberties, but it depicts, again, these groups fighting for the Equal Rights for Women Act, but then it becomes inner fighting because the feminist group decides that Shirley's not electable. Uh, so she's already had the Black interest groups before telling her she wasn't Because like she's her. a woman. And now she has the, the female groups telling her she's not electable. Because she's Black. Yeah. IRL, in real life, Gloria Steinem has said that that's not how things went down. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I, I don't know. But... Still, it's oh, what a punch in the gut, you know? Yeah, I mean, again, it goes back to that double handicap that she kept right? saying that she had. And it's so true. Like, yeah, two women, like, if you're a black woman, you have two strikes against you. Yeah. Like, and that's horrible. Yeah. In the show, she was like absolutely floored when Gloria Steinem didn't back her and then backed the guy that then went on to get the nomination and lost against Nixon for his second term. But yeah, I, do go watch the show. It's really good. So she didn't get the nomination. So she returns to Congress and she goes on to be fighting Shirley for another 10 years. So she didn't let it take the wind out of her. Which yeah, I love. she kept pushing. She kept yeah. going. She may not have won the candidacy, but she got a lot of media attention. She, we can't say because she didn't win the candidacy, she's not a political success. She would, had a very successful career for, well, I wanted. I was about to say for a black woman at the time, but for any Congress person. Yeah, she time. served. Well, from the last time that we saw, she was serving like fifteen years. Like she's going on like twenty. Like she yeah. served a long ass time. She she was a champion of political refugees. She uh, wanted better pay for domestic workers. She fought for like a livable min- minimum wage, which is like something people are still fighting for. Mm-hmm. And as always, she was very involved in education reform. She and Conrad did divorce in 1977. Will we see this divorce on our friend show, Trashy Divorces? No. It okay. seems like this was like the friendliest divorce. Okay. Oh, so I, there's I, I, not a podcast called Friendly Divorces. There's not a po- That would be such a boring podcast. <laughs> yeah, I don't uh, like you anymore. Goodbye. Okay, bye. Um, Sorry. <laughs> they, there doesn't seem to have been any kind of scandal. And Conrad, you know, for the rest of his life, people were like, oh, you were married to Shirley Chisholm. Like, What's she like? And he was just What's always the like, tea? What's the tea? And, and he was just always like, like, Shirley is a wonderful person. And that's like all he, he was like, she is so smart and so strong. So it seems like it ended on good terms. Yeah. There was no bad blood. Yeah, it just didn't work out. And she wasn't lonely long. She remarried that same year. <laughs> a man named Arthur Hardwick, who he had also served on the New York Assembly at the same time as her. Oh, so that's probably how they met. So it's like a reconnect. They reconnected uh, after okay. her divorce. Let's hope there wasn't any overlap. If there was, it's not mentioned. But mm-hmm. she retired during the Reagan administration because she fucking hated that guy. She never straight came out and said, I fucking hate that guy. But um, <laughs> she she fucking hated that guy. <laughs> well, I mean, if she was for like 
Reagan was about trickle down economics, like mm-hmm. cut the taxes for the rich people and, and make and the rich richer and we'll all get richer. It's like, no, they just, and she was, and I mean, money. he was also at that point demonizing the welfare queen or yes. the who lived in poverty and those yes. were her constituents. <laughs> yes. And so that is when she was like, all right, I'm tired. I've done all I can do. I've set y'all up for success, but I don't want to work with this guy. So she retired from Congress, but she didn't retire altogether. She joined the board of an all women's college and she started teaching classes and doing lecture tours. She would speak about the, you know, women's rights, her struggles as a black woman. And she would go on to endorse candidates and bills for the rest of her life. So she's basically like the Rolling Stones, except going on tour because she's awesome and yes yes yeah that was that was a stretch Nathan (laughs) (laughs) so Shirley died at uh age 80 in 2005 uh the engraving on her vault that she's laid to rest in says any guesses unbossed and unbought yeah and Daenerys Targaryen of politics (laughs) yes (laughs) In 2015, she was um, posthumously, post- I can't say that word. Posthumously, you did. Posthumously, I said it right? Okay. Uh, in 2015, she was awarded the Presidential Medal of Honor by Barack Obama. Makes and, sense. <laughs> and that is Shirley Chisholm, the first Black woman to run for president. Wow, that's super interesting. Like, I had no idea her life had that many, like... Yeah. That was so cool. Because she had just... so many things that she could have just been like, oh, well, I'm never going to get anything done because of my double handicap. But she was like, fuck that. And I think whenever I was watching, you know, coverage of before uh, Biden's acceptance speech last night, I think I saw like on NPR or something, they they made references to Shirley Chisholm and they were like, you know, expecting this speech for her to make references to those black heroes like yeah. John Lewis and Shirley Chisholm. And, and I yeah. was like, that's who Katie's researching. Hashtag I mean, relevant. They're both the children of double immigrants. They're mm-hmm. both, you know, first. Super I hope you guys. Cool. Enjoy, I hope this inspired you. That um, don't let the bastards get you down. Yes, amen. Preach. Hands up. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, thanks for listening, guys. Love you bunch. Bye, bitches.